food has no flavor. Now, you may think that that's a wild thing to say, and it's a really strange thing for me to say, being that I'm a professional chef and I've spent my entire career creating flavor experiences for myself, for my family, for other people. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Well, follow along with me, because I think as we begin to unpack this simple idea, you'll begin to see, as I have seen, how this can help us to better understand how to interact with the people in our lives that present us with challenges relationally, specifically those children that God has placed into our home. When we begin to embrace this idea, we will begin to open ourselves up to a wealth of new opportunities to be more present, to be more attuned, and to be more emotionally available to the children who need it most from us. I know that's a pretty big claim for me to make, but I'm going to substantiate it here on this episode of The Hunger for Connection. My name is Chef Kibbe. I'm so glad you're here. Now let's get started. You found The Hunger for Connection, a show that seeks to combine the latest in neuroscience research with our shared experience of food and cooking to create a practical, approachable way for a foster adoptive parent like yourself to connect with the disconnected child in your life. You'll begin to see the challenges you face in your parenting not as a problem to be fixed, but as a hunger to be fed. I'm Chef Kibby, public speaker and biological foster and adoptive dad, and I'm here to help you feed the hunger for connection. For some reason, I feel like I need to be wearing sunglasses when I'm saying this. Food has no flavor. It's like, what's his name, Morbius in The Matrix? There is no spoon. Of course, I don't don't put it into the chat or into the uh, the comments section. I know that Morbius didn't say those words. It was the kid, the the bald kid. I don't I don't even know if he had a name. Anyway, there is no spoon. Food has no flavor. We're living in the Matrix. Up is down. Black is white. Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> I'm mixing up all of my pop culture metaphors right now. But it was just such a mind altering thing to experience and to read. Now, where did this come from? Well, it came from this book right here. This book, which doesn't have a cover on it, so it's kind of hard to tell if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, but it's the book Neurogastronomy, a book by uh, Gordon Shepard. And I'm going to be making reference to this book quite frequently in the episodes to come, because as I continue to read through it, this groundbreaking Groundbreaking, groundbreaking work in the field of neurogastronomy is I'm considering to be one of the the bases for this developing field that I'm hoping to push forward both through this podcast and through my public speaking and everything that I'm doing in my ministry toward this idea of interpersonal neurogastronomy, applying the things that we are learning and are beginning to learn, continuing to learn about how food is processed by the body and by the brain and by our sensory systems and how that can inform us in the way that we are trying to show up in our relationships, not only with ourselves and with our spouses and with the world around us for that matter, but specifically focusing on the area 
of foster and adoptive parenting because I believe, as a foster and adoptive parent myself, that that is the the relationship that is the most taxed by the hunger for connection and can see the most striking benefit from applying these concepts to our relationships. And though the concept I want to focus on today is this idea that food has no flavor. What do I mean by that? When we experience food, we automatically believe that the flavors we are experiencing are the flavors that are inherently in the food that we are eating. That when I eat an apple, that I'm experiencing apple flavor. And that's true to a degree. So food doesn't have flavor particles in it. Unless you're making that instant ramen stuff that has the little packet of of flavor particles... Then you're eating flavor particles. <laughs> but in, in most other cases, food doesn't have food mo- or uh, flavor molecules in it. It just has the molecules that create the structure of the food. Where flavor comes in is how your body is receiving these chemicals, these chemical compounds, these molecules that make up the food how those how that matter is interacting with our sensory system and when i say that i mean all of our senses our sight sound smell taste um touch all of those things combine together within our body through all of these different sensory systems that are wiring into different parts of our brain and different parts of our spinal cord and even into the parts of our brain that control emotions. We'll get to that in another episode. The flavor is created in your mind. Your mind is creating the sense of flavor. And in this book, Shepard mentions that it's much in the same way that many of us, if we stop to think and understand that things don't naturally have color either. When I look at a picture of something, or when I see the color blue, it's not because my shirt, which is blue, it's not because this has blue molecules in it. It's not made of something that is blue. It is because the the fabric that this shirt is made from is reflecting the light waves in such a way as they are hitting the the sensory receptors in the back of my eye that is creating the sense that the shirt is blue. In much the same way, when I am eating an apple, it is not because it is apple flavored. It is because the the chemical and molecular makeup of the apple is creating senses in my senses, that because I have eaten apples many times in the past, my brain is creating what's called a a sensory image. And in fact, in this book, it, it focuses specifically on the smell image, that just like how we have visual images of objects, our brain creates a smell image of different foods, so that when we experience them again, our body through the sensory systems, are re-experiencing and comparing that to previous 
experiences that we have had to create the sensory image of, in this case, an apple. Now, there are three different factors that play into the way food and, and flavor is sensed by the body. Some of that is hardwired. And predominantly, the most active part of hardwiring that we have as far as our sensory system goes with relation to food is our taste buds. The taste buds on our tongue are, in my understanding, very simple. They, they don't do a whole lot. They can monitor kind of the, the basic salty, sweet, savory, bitter, umami sort of things. And that's all that so much more of how we experience food is actually in our sense of smell, which I, and again, this is another revelation that I was not aware of until reading this book, is that so much of our sense of smell when it comes to food is not in the front of the nose, which is called orthonasal smelling, but is actually in the back of the nose, which is called retronasal smelling. There are olfactory senses in the back of our nasal cavity that are being activated as we are chewing and swallowing food, and these smells are coming up the backside of our nasal cavity and being combined with all the other sensory experiences that we're having within our mouth to create the sense of taste and create the sense of flavor. And it's wild to think that so much of flavor is actually not even present in our mouth. So much of it is actually in our nose but our brain combines it in such a way as that we can't tell the difference. Taste buds are hardwired. Everything else, at least this is my understanding at this point of making this recording, is, is either softwired or situational. So softwiring would be the neuroplasticity that our brain has to, to create a particular impression about something that is created in experiential knowledge. I understand the flavor of an apple, not because it is hardwired into my taste buds, but because I have eaten apples in the past. And that experiential knowledge has wired certain olfactory sensory pathways within my brain to create this image of how an apple would taste or should taste or how I would expect it to taste when I bite into it. That is a soft wiring. It is created through experience. Now, something else that can have an impact on the way that we experience flavor is situational. The way we feel in a particular moment can also have an impact on the way our sensory receptors are experiencing the flavor sensations that are being received by our body. So if we are happy, if we are sad, if we are angry, if we are lonely, if we are scared, all of those things, if we're hot, if we're cold, so many different factors, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these different emotional factors can play into the way that we are experiencing flavor in the moment. And so these three aspects, a hard wiring, our soft wiring, and our situational um, condition can all play a factor into the way that we are experiencing flavor. And that's wild to think of that because we think that no matter when or where or how I taste a particular item, that it's always going to taste the same. But that's not necessarily the case. 
And that same item may not taste the same by another person because their brain is not wired the same as ours. Your brain is not wired the same as mine. And so if I were to slice an apple in half and give half to you, half to me, yes, we are tasting the same thing. And you would think that the flavor would be the same, but it's not. And there's, there's no way for us to know how the other person is experiencing the flavor of that food. Except that we can, to the best of our knowledge and the best of our ability, try to express it in words. But even the context of those words are colored by our own experience and may not hit the same. It may hit different to you than it does to me. And I'm trying not to get emotional as I'm reflecting on this. Because as I'm saying it out loud to you, I am I'm hearing and feeling just how true this is in our relationships with other people. And again, specifically, the children that God has placed into our homes. I'm getting emotional because I know what an impact this, this thought, this knowledge of how we experience food has made and is making such a life-changing impact for me and and thank thank God is making an impact on the lives of my children in the same way that your brain and mine have images of food and are creating the sensation of flavor flavor is not inherently in the food itself our brains are creating the sensation of flavor, I want to propose that our brains create the sensation of of other people. That when we are in a situation that our autonomic nervous system is taking in the information from inside of ourselves, from our environment, from the people around us, from our our condition, our emotional condition, and our sense of hope, those four realms of relationship, bringing it all together to create a type of emotional and relational flavor of the moment. And that is a significant revelation. And again, not an analogy, not a metaphor. It is, it is true. It is real. That when we are experiencing things, they have a flavor to them. And that flavor is not based solely on the reality of the situation. It is based on the way our brain is taking in and interpreting and processing the information that is being given to it as it is being compared to our experiential knowledge, so not just the hard wiring, but also our soft wiring of experiential knowledge and also our emotional state at the time. How does that make an impact? Well, in particular, it has an impact in those moments when when you are interacting with a child that is not interacting 
well with you. That is where in our foster adoptive journey, and in my foster adoptive journey, like the rubber hits the road, right? That's when things get really hard. That's when things get really difficult. And it is, it is a constant struggle because the children who've come into our homes from outside of our family of origin are experiencing a sense of disconnect. And that disconnect affects the way they are wired. It affects their hard wiring, their soft wiring, and their situational experience uh, and, and sense of, of their, their emotional um, stability in the moment that you are experiencing with them. The flavor that children from hard places experience are probably flavors that you and I have never or will ever experience. The, the flavors of the day-to-day life of feeling disconnected from themselves, from their environment, from the people in their lives, living with a sense of chronic anxiety and worry and fear that, that colors the way that their bodies and their brains perceive what is happening around them. It affects the flavor of everything, including food, by the way. It affects the way that food tastes to them, which is why so many of the kiddos in our care have food-related issues. Food issues in children from hard places isn't always directly tied to specific food experiences in their childhood. Just because they're having food issues in your home doesn't mean that they had food issues in the home in which they were raised. It does not necessarily mean that there was a lack of food or a lack of proper nutrition. It could be the case, but it isn't necessarily a one-to-one connection between the two. A lot of it could be based on trauma and based on trust and based on this hunger for connection. Again, I'll probably go into more detail on that in another episode. Suffice to say, <coughs> excuse me, the way the child in your home is sensing situations, people, places, your parenting, your words, your, your care for them is different from the way you're perceiving it. The flavor that they are experiencing is different from the flavor that you're experiencing. And and I really want to stop there with this episode. I can go in so many more directions. <laughs> I can feel my brain going in so many different directions with this topic. But I want to stop here because I want you to focus on this. That just in the same way that if I sliced an apple in half and gave you half and I took another half, and we took bites at the exact same time, we would still be having different experiences. And the challenge for you and I, as trauma-informed caregivers, is to create a space in our minds and in our hearts and in our own autonomic nervous systems 
that when we are running into difficulties with a child, with their attitudes, with their behaviors, with however we want to color it, whatever flavor definition we want to attach to it, disrespect, disobedience, defiance, um, refusal, pushing us away, whatever flavor sensations we are getting in the moment, they are tasting something else. They are sensing something else. And even if it feels like we're sensing the same things, our bodies are processing them differently. And the sooner and the deeper that you and I can take that to heart and can apply that into those situations in which we are having a hard time, the sooner we can begin to access and empathy, and compassion that can open us up to more loving and compassionate and emotionally attuned responses to these situations that we no longer feel like we have to react and respond in a way that in many cases, if not most cases, if not practically all cases, end up making matters worse or even delaying or slowing down the progress that we could be making in this relationship with this child and for this child in their relationship to themselves and to us. And so... Until next time, I want you I want you to meditate on this idea. And in fact, maybe sometime in the next few days or or how, you know, whenever you get an opportunity, find yourself a piece of food that you can cut in half and give to another person, and I want you to think and to realize that the two of you are eating the same thing, but your bodies are experiencing it differently. And the more we put ourselves into that space and into that place where we can recognize that in ourselves and other people, the more we will begin to attribute this same thought process to things other than food, to the, to the flavor of, of our environment, to the flavor of experiences that we are having relationally with other people. And maybe, just maybe, it will help us to see the hunger for connection that other people are having. And we can put ourselves into a place where we can more readily feed that hunger for connection in them. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. And surprisingly enough, this has been a real encouragement to me. It's been a good reminder. I hope you subscribe to this podcast. I hope you continue to listen. And and let me know what it is has resonated with you Leave it into the, uh, the comment section of the video or leave a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. And feel free to reach out to me on email. I would love to know how this is hitting you, what is helping you to understand and realize, and, and what questions this is bringing up in your mind. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'll see you in the kitchen.